What's up, everyone? Dustin Bass here with just a quick little request. If you enjoy our podcast, could you do us a huge favor and leave us a rating and a review? The reason we ask you to do that is because when we get more ratings and reviews, more people are able to find the show. So if you're enjoying the content that we're putting out, we would greatly appreciate if you helped spread the word. So leave us a rating, leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Thanks so much. And let's get on with the show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. And I am Alan Joachim. That's right. Alan Joachim is far, far away in a land far, far away called COVID-19 land. No, I'm just kidding. Alan, let people know exactly why you are in a separate place than I am, please, before people flip out. Yeah, because that joke, it's just, it's too soon. It's too soon. It is too soon because the test hasn't come back yet. <laughs> that's, that's right. Let's wait until after. Then, then, then we, we can, can make the jokes. All right. Well, there's there's a co-worker of mine that, uh, he, he's kind of an activist. Yeah. Um, I'll just kind of leave it at that. He is an activist and he's been going through, I believe, some of the rallies that have been taking place uh because of uh, what happened with George Floyd and um, mm-hmm. that uh, that other gentleman, I can't remember his name in Atlanta. Right. So there've been lots and Brooks. lots and lots of protests. Right. Uh, Brooks. Yeah, I know that's his last name. Right. So he's a bit of an activist, and I'm sure um, he had acquired COVID nineteen. He was tested positive. I'm pretty sure that's where he got it from. How much did he um, pay for it? How much did he pay for? He said he acquired it. Oh, uh, 19, $19, $19, $19. So, uh, yeah, he acquired it and, you know, uh, it's not so much I worked around him, but we kind of work in the same, uh, same area of the building. Yeah. Hmm. So they're making everybody now do tests and we can't go back to work until my first test comes back negative. Then I got to wait 24 hours and then take another test. And when the second test comes out negative, then I can go back to work. But until then, I am now stuck at home. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yep. I, I have my best friend's uh, parents actually have COVID nineteen. Both of them have it. Uh, they're 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 in their mid sixties. So are they really? Yeah. Um, they're they're sickly, pretty sickly. That's um, but cool. yeah. So well, that that is no good. No, no good. Um, went on a fishing trip uh, this past week. And he's an old friend of mine who's now a fishing guide. He and I were in a band together. Yeah, that's right. I was in a rock band. Um, but he and I, <laughs> we were in the boat and I was like, how are your daughters? And he's like, oh, they're fine. They, uh, they apparently both got COVID-19 from their cheerleading coach. And I was like, okay. So, yeah. It uh, okay. spreads pretty easily, as we know. So, anyways, prayer, prayers for you, my friend James's parents, and for Will's daughters. So, yeah. Uh, well, but, I appreciate that. Do what? I said I appreciate that. Thank there you, you go. There you go. You're welcome. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't mind, put a prayer out uh, for our good fellow Americans here, uh, Mr. Alan Joachim and uh, the other aforementioned. All right. So, we're going to be doing our book and movie recommendations since we weren't able to do it on our Facebook Live due to circumstances. So, Alan... Uh, you had one, since we're going to be talking about the second amendment, uh, you wanted to bring this book up. I don't know what your movie is. 
I have two selections uh, that are really in reference to what is happening ideologically to an extent in America that I think a lot of people will get a good understanding of how I'm, I like the whole idea of the process that I think that's why we really enjoy the show because we try to explain how we got to where we are today by giving a lot of historical references before I, before I do my stuff, Alan, you want to go ahead? Okay. Mark Levin's book, men in black. I cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, why this book is important has a lot to do with the 14th Amendment, which affects the Second Amendment as well as all other amendments. It was orig- originally intended, the 14th Amendment was originally intended to be um, a way to give uh, black Americans full citizenship. Right. And the equal protection, same thing. That's what it was meant for. But what the Supreme Court has done is, is that they have turned it into a Pandora's box of uh, uh, of creating new laws and and decisions that I, I really don't think it was intended the way the way it has turned out, and it has completely changed the way this country works. Um, I, I think if the founding fathers had known what the fourth known about the future of the bill of rights uh that the 14th amendment was going to come about and and really give so much authority to the central government Mm -hmm. uh, i i think that they would have given some kind well i'm sure they did give some kind of warnings against something like this but it has happened and now we have it yeah and not now i know someone who who is going to freak out oh they're against giving black people citizenship no that's not what we're saying right we're saying that um, the equal protection clause has turned this into a into a monster of of proportions that now it dwarfs the you know the the Bill of Rights itself, the first ten amendments to the Constitution. Hmm. So Mark Levin's book, Men in Black, highly recommended. All right, definitely. Now, uh, movie, and I know this is going to be kind of funny, but the, again, this has to do with uh, with our discussion. But I would say the first three death wishes. With Charles Bronson, <laughs> yeah, boy. I there's just some funny scenes in there. Like there's a young Jeff Goldblum who's in the first one. Uh, there's a, in the second one, um, he he you know Charles Bronson goes up to one of his daughter's killers and goes. He sees a uh, a cross or a crucifix on his neck, and he says to him. Uh, do you believe in Jesus? And the uh, the killer goes, yes, yes, I do. And Charles Bronson's like, good, because you're going to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the and then the third one, it's uh, it it it's about this neighborhood that fights back against gangs because the police just aren't doing their job. And you know, there's like one scene where the police goes in and they confiscate this citizen's uh, gun and then the, the 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 gang members knowing that that the citizen's gun was confiscated goes in there and does a bunch of stuff to their home so it, it's a, it's a funny movie it's not meant to be taken seriously but uh, it shows what happens when when the police are not there to protect you and when the when the people fight back and yeah. you know like i said it's not a serious movie not like the first and second it it i really do believe that they made the third one kind of as a joke Oh really? 
Yeah, I, I really do. Based on, I mean, watch the third one and you'll see what I mean. It, it's 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 a funny. It is a funny movie. Definitely, old Charles Bronson, classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not meant to be. Not meant to be taken seriously. And not meant to be watched by children. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Those are my recommendations. All right. So my book recommendation is called An Intelligent Person's Guide to Philosophy. This is written by Sir Roger Scruton. Um, I highly recommend this book. It's very short, actually. That's the way I like it. Um, I like them short, so I can knock them out pretty quick. Um, but it yeah, that, that sounds kind of weird. I just You, you, you know. like that? You yeah, like that? I like them yeah. short. Yeah. I like them. I like them. Short. If I just keep saying it, it's going to just keep getting weirder. Um, yeah. But actually, I'm glad that you brought it up because when I said it, I thought it, but I thought I would just power through. Uh-huh. But I can always rest assured that you will be there to point it out. That's what I'm here for. There you go. Beautiful. Uh, This book is really um, enlightening uh, because it it just scans over um, sort of like thought processes of how we have gotten to the point where the beautiful things don't really matter. Um, The... When you when you when you try to formulate how people think and you're like I don't understand how they think like that that just doesn't make any sense when you read this book it really brings it into uh, perspective of oh this is it is it is because we have philosophized ourselves into imbecility we've tried to make things so great and so brilliant. That only we can understand, only the creators can understand. I think we know where I'm going with this, especially like the postmodern era, which is still what we're living in, whether we want to think that we are or not. We still are living in that, where it's just like, oh, you don't understand it? It's so beyond you. Like, no, it's just piece of crap. That's what it is. And sometimes that's what the art is, like poop or whatever, or urine or a toilet. Uh, And so it's just like, this is idiocy on display and you're supposed to appreciate it as as art so that's one of the things that he does discuss here and it sort of reflects uh humanity uh as we see it today with so many people who think they're smart and brilliant and they're not um so my movie recommendation is not a movie it is actually um it's really just youtube videos um i encourage you to just search sir roger scruton S-C-R-U-T-O-N, and you can just type in his name and the word beauty, and it will come up a lo- uh, like all of his, his talks, um, and I think he did a special with BBC not too long ago uh, talking about sort of how society has fallen away from beauty, and we now appreciate things that are just disgusting, and we call that art. So, uh, pretty enlightening. I uh, highly encourage you to check it out. And it'll be about an hour, maybe, hour and a half of your time, if depending on which one you get. So, Well, I know that uh, there was, there's been some artwork in the past, uh, like Maplethorpe, who just really did some nasty stuff with his art. Mm-hmm. 
I wouldn't, I mean, is it art? Yes. Is it protected in the First Amendment? Yes. Would I have him arrested? No. Would I go pay to go see him? No. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. There you go. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get on with the conversation. Alan, um, you actually went over um, a number of things uh, here that we're going to be discussing. You did this with your Tuesday Night History Live. Um, really good stuff, man. I, uh, I applaud the presentation that you put together. It was so good. Very enjoyable. We're going to sort of go over this, uh, and maybe in just a little bit more detail, uh, with the podcast. So are you ready? You're wanting to start with the classical education of the founding fathers. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Um, there's a, you know, a lot of people today want to know what, you know, they like to dissect what the Second Amendment says. And they'll go through every word of it, similar to what we saw with Bill Clinton saying, stating what is, is. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the way it is. The Founding Fathers well, were Well, it depends on what is, is. And exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the Founding Fathers said that let's just make it plain. This is, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, if if you're still that unsure what they meant, then what you really have to do is take a look at some of their writings as well as some of the works that they read who influenced them in their life. And when you when you read their other writings and you read what what influenced them and who they listened to then you will come to the realization that what many of the politicians, especially those on the left, are stating is is at best just mistaken, at worst, outright lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Founding Fathers received a classical education, and uh, they were also he- very heavily influenced by the Christian Church as well as the Enlightenment. Right. Uh, they all went to church. Now, granted, were, did they all stay Christian? Uh, not all of them. You know, some of them did. Uh, John Jay, for instance, a uh, very influential man. He is considered one of the seven official founding fathers. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was one of the three who wrote the uh, Federalist Papers. Yep. And uh, he was also there with Adams and, and uh, Franklin uh, signing the Treaty of Paris that officially – where Britain officially – ended their war with us and recognized us as a free and sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. Um, him and Samuel Adams are the two that come to mind who were Christian. Everybody else was between deism and, and Christianity. But And he was also the first chief justice of the Supreme Court. Uh, who, John Jay? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah, you know, for some reason I thought it was Marshall, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but But they also read the uh they read the works in uh the enlightenment and and so what we're going to do is we're going to go we're going to go and look at some of the some of the men who influenced them um the first one that comes to mind that's very very important is a man named uh, cesar bacharia um cesar bacharia very very influential to thomas jefferson and him and yet he he was very much into the the uh, people being armed. If you want to know what what influenced Jefferson, read Cesar Bacharia. 
then there was um, Nic- uh, Niccolo, Niccolo Machiavelli. Now, he's mm-hmm. the one who wrote The Prince. Now, in The Prince, there was discussions about standing armies. Um, uh, Machiavelli, uh, he stated don't for a prince not to go and get a um, like a mercenary to protect your regime. He said it was very important that you you know you treat your people very well. Let them be armed, and if you treat them well and you're a good prince or a good king or whatever, then you will have the support of your people. And if you have the support of your people, you don't have to worry about being overthrown. Right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go through the names. Uh, John Locke, uh, Jean Jacques Rousseau, <laughs> Hugo Grotius or Grotius. Uh, Sir Edward Coke, Montesquieu, Thomas Hobbes, Adam Smith, Cicero, Ovid, Livy, and Aristotle. Livy. Hmm. Mm, Livy. Yeah, all, all those guys. You know, they look. They studied. They studied those philosophers. Yep. They studied history from the ancient period to the early modern era. Right. And you know, they they came to the realization that standing armies were a threat. And the best way to protect liberty is for the people, the population, to be armed. And they meant all of them. Yeah. And, and it, they, was you know, over, they, it was over, it was over, not just, you know, time periods, but also over landscapes. You've got Italy, you've got France, you've got Scotland, you've got uh, England, you've got ancient Rome, ancient Greece. So there's a, there's not just, you know, long periods of time where it's like, it's not just from England or it's not just from Greece. This is like from numerous countries, numerous exactly. minds from numerous countries over long periods of time. Exactly. I mean, they, they looked at someone like the, uh, like the emperors of Rome who had the Praetorian Guard. And, you know, uh, you know, if when you have a Praetorian Guard, it is a threat to liberty. You know, there were people who were, were murdered because they spoke out against the emperor for any reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then here comes the Praetorian Guard. And, and if the Praetorian Guard doesn't like the way you run things, the, they would kill the emperors themselves. They did that to quite a bit of emperors. But, but um, just a standing army during peacetime in general, they considered a threat. And, and history taught them that it was a threat. For one thing, if you have... If you have an armed population, which is really what the militia is, mm-hmm. if you have an armed population, they are less apt to want to um, bother other countries. You know, Washington, when he left the office, he warned the Americans not to get entangled with the Europeans because right. they were constantly getting into wars. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you don't have a standing army, if you had militias, you know, they're going to be there to protect their state. They're going to be there to protect their home. They're not going to want to go venture off into all these wars overseas. Yeah. Boy, have we so, gotten away from that. Jeez. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until Woodrow Wilson that we started really getting ourselves involved in in overseas conflicts. Yeah. And, and that really is the first time that, uh, you know, that. That I'm not talking about we sending men overseas in battle because, uh, you know, the Barbary pirates and even in the Revolutionary War, um, you know, we had a couple of wars, quasi-war, Revolutionary War. We had men sailed off into uh, the English waters and, and attacked. But, but that but, was uh, because we were being attacked. Right. Like the quasi-war, but, the French were attacking us. The Barbary pirates, they were attacking us. 
So that like you know Woodrow Wilson, we hadn't been attacked. I mean, you know they had German submarines off you know far off the coast, and you know the Lusitania is is famous, but that wasn't our ship. Yeah. So, Wilson really was the first man, the first president, to say, "Hey, let's get ourselves involved in a European war." And you know, now whether yes, there was the argument about the submarine aspect of it, but you know, the submarines and the British were going at it, and they were, you know, we almost went to war with Britain yeah. in the first in the First World War because they were doing to us in 1914 the exact same thing as what they did that led to the War of 1812, which was. You know, they would they would just capture ships, they would board it and mm-hmm. confiscate whatever whatever they found. And you know, now in nineteen fourteen they did it. You know what, we're getting kind of off the subject here, but yeah. what I'm getting at is is that um sorry, I got us off the subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's okay. We'll move it's on. a good lesson. It's yeah. a good lesson nonetheless. But you know, with with the militia, and this is this is where the Second Amendment comes in, uh, in the wording of what a militia means. A militia and and this has been stated repeatedly, repeatedly by the founding fathers. The militia were it was everybody that was a, like an able-bodied male between say sixteen to sixty, and you, you know, and they wanted you, they wanted it regulated, where it wasn't just a haphazard group of men that were like, hey, let's go raid, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It was. You know, you drilled in the greens, the green being in, you know, the little park in your town. You would drill in the green. You would vote for, you know, the, your your officers. Right. It was it was regulated by the governor. It was regulated by the state. It was not regulated by the federal government. You know, the, the, the Bill of Rights was written. The Constitution was written as a muzzle on the federal government to protect the states, the anti-federalists did not want a strong central government. They just wanted a, a central government that would run certain affairs, such as treaties, uh, such as the common national defense. Um, but really, that I mean, that's about it. The, the Constitution is only four pages long. Yeah. But, but you know, they, they want, you know, each state had its own constitution. Each state, pretty much all the states had their own Bill of Rights. So, the Second Amendment, what it was written in, it was well known that owning a firearm, every man, every man to own a firearm was an inalienable natural right for self-defense, you know, to, to protect your life, to protect your family, your home, mm-hmm. to protect your state against raiders or invaders, mm-hmm. and to protect your state against a tyrannical government, which could very well have been from the federal government or even the governor yourself, itself. Right. So these were all rights that already existed long before our government was created. It, it Because whatever the government gives you, the government can take away. That's right. So if it's a natural and alienable God-given right, the government cannot take it away from you. So, you know, even George Mason said the best way to enslave a people is to take away their firearms. So you have a situation where the Second Amendment states that a well-regulated militia is necessary for a free state. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. like, but, let's but go ahead and read it. Um, yeah, go ahead and read it. Completely. Uh, a well-regulated militia 
comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed. Correct. So, you know, people will sit and say, oh, well, that means that you have to be in the National Guard. That's what it means in order to own firearms. And they're saying it's a collective right. Wrong. It's not. It's not. Because... Everybody, everybody was in the militia, number one. And number two, there have been numerous, numerous uh, court cases as well as sayings by the founding fathers that stated that you don't have to be in a militia to own firearms. Firearms, owning them, and, and they didn't say muskets. They said firearms. And, you know, back in those days, you had handguns, you had, you had muskets. You had rifles, and many of the private arms were superior to anything that the army had, whether it be the Continental Army or whatever came later. You know, like like the rifles that that came out were much better than any of the muskets that the uh, the uh, infantry had. Mm -hmm. So the the only requirement for any of the of the Bill of Rights, any of any of the rights, is to be a citizen of the United States. That's the only requirement. You don't have to be a part of a group. You don't have to be a part of, you know, a church or, you know, a militia or anything like that. Read the Bill of Rights. The only requirement in there is being a citizen. And these things are, you know, uh, so you don't have to be part of the militia. You don't have to be part of the National Guard or the military to be able to own arms. Arms of various kinds. That's the thing is we always put it as... Um, you know, just, just guns. It's like arms. Yeah. It doesn't say right. guns in there. It means arms, yeah. which is all encompassing. Yeah. It could be a sword. It could be a, it could be a knife. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, it, it, it pisses me off when I see Chuck Schumer saying, Oh, you don't need this. You don't need it for duck hunting. Let us confiscate that from you. Well, the second amendment was written to protect us from people like Chuck Schumer. Right. It's for us, it, it, it's a muzzle on the federal government. So when the federal government system tells you, you don't need that firearm, you know, uh, it was a Joe Biden said, you don't need an AR-15, just walk outside with a double barrel shotgun and two blasts will scare whoever's out there. Yeah. Well, number one, that that's illegal to fire if you're in a, you know, you can't just fire a, a shotgun up into the air because what goes up must come down. Mm-hmm. And number two, well, guess what happens when you've fired both uh, rounds of your double barrel shotgun? Yeah. Your gun's empty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. You better have that AR-14, Joe Biden's favorite gun. Yeah, the AR-14. I remember that. <laughs> All right. So speaking of that, um, we have to watch out for the government. Um, the whole, you know, famous phrase, it can't happen here is is a dangerous statement to believe. But let's go through some historical times where the government has removed the arms from the people. Okay. Well, let's see. We can, let's, we'll start, let me, uh, we'll start with the 20th century. Uh, Soviet Union. Soviet Union, uh, they took away the arms from the people. And let's take a look and see what happened. About a minimum, a minimum of 20 million people in the Soviet Union were slaughtered uh, by Joseph Stalin. Now, this is within the last hundred years. 
uh, Nazi Germany. Jews were not allowed to own guns. Look what happened to them. Didn't didn't work out too well. No. The People's Republic of China. Now they had a they had a thing called the Cultural Revolution, mm-hmm. which was let's see who can be the most radicalized Maoist. Let's see who loves mail the best. Not mayo as in like you know Mayonnaise. the thing this thing you spread on your sandwich, um, you know, or Cinco de Mayo. No, no, we're talking about that that guy that looks you know has that famous painting by that weird looking dude, the one who died. I can't remember his name. Yeah, uh, it's unimportant. <laughs> yeah, unimportant right now. But yeah, uh, Mao Mao Zedong was uh, he he slaughtered quite a bit of people, and they were unarmed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if uh, some of us uh, who are up, up in age a bit will remember what happened in Tiananmen Square, where unarmed Chinese citizens were slaughtered by the Chinese Red Army or or the People's Army, whatever they call the PLA. it. PLA. Yeah, yes, the People's Liberation Army. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, now, the people of Hong Kong right now, the people of Hong Kong want the same type of rights and liberties that we have. No, China's not going to allow that. Right. The, the people of Hong Kong are, are unarmed. You also had the people of Tibet. The people of Tibet, you know, they, they were not able to uh, take on the PLO when, when they came in. So, yeah, you have, so you have Red China to think about. Um, you have, uh, let's see, Cambodia. When the Khmer Rouge took over in 1975, they slaughtered a quarter of their people. Yeah. Mm. Um, Rwanda. 1994, the Hutus slaughtered the Tutsis, not with firearms, mind you, but with machetes. I got to tell you, that's got to hurt. Yeah. Because, you know, you stick your arm up to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck keeping that arm. Speaking of Rwanda, I, I highly encourage people to watch the movie starring Don Cheadle called Hotel Rwanda. Did you ever see that? I, I did see that. Ooh, um, I, I That was a good one. There was another one that came out. Um, it had John Hurt in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, something about shooting dogs. Let me let me find the name of that one. But that was that was a good movie, also. Yeah, the um, movie, um, the Killing Fields, is another one that you know people yeah. should watch regarding Cambodia. Um, Beyond Beyond the Gates, Beyond the Gates. It's okay. a 2005 film. It's uh, about the Rwanda genocide. Uh, it started stars John Hurt. You know, he was the guy that had the alien pop out of him in the movie Alien. Yeah, at the very the, beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hugh Dancy is also in there. Uh, so that I I actually kind of like that one better than Hotel Rwanda. Okay. Um, but yeah, you had uh, what, what was the one that you just mentioned? Uh, Killing Fields. The Killing Fields. Yes. Um, so you know, so you know, you, there was that. Now. There were also, if you look at what the communist governments did, um, you know, uh, around Christmas 1989, when the Berlin Wall was falling everywhere, the um, the Romanian government, Nicolae Ceausescu, slaughtered quite a bit of people when he was trying to give some speech. They and they revolted, and and it led to a revolution, which which we will get into here shortly in terms of the people revolting and what effect it has on, on governments. But, but that's, that's the, the things that we mentioned are, are some of the most, you know, some of the most recent ones, but if you go back, Oliver Cromwell, what he did to, uh, what he did to the Irish, um, the, the French Huguenots, 
Now, they were Protestants who lived in Catholic France, and if you ever read The Three Musketeers, you'll remember Cardinal Richelieu, uh, who launched a war against the, uh, the Huguenots that were in La Rochelle. And, you know, because of the religion, because they were a different, different kind of, of Christian. So, you know, just, it's, it, and, and if you go back thousands of years, you will see case after case after case yeah. of where a, a king or a prince or emperor or whoever turns into a tyrant and slaughters his people. Yeah. I mean, speaking of tyranny, that's what the tyrants to be like, look, to put it on just a, a, a tyranny has been put on um, on on the stage here this year um, across across the nation, states, cities. Uh, we've got a little tyrant turning around uh, our <laughs> your your good friend, Harris County uh, Judge uh, Lena Hidalgo. She's she's a peach, man. Golly, yeah. uh, she just put out the one thousand dollar, five thousand dollar fine or whatever. But look, this is tyranny. And actually, I had a friend try to defend uh, the tyranny uh, going on in Harris County, and she actually said the reason tyranny is is being used is because you know. And I'm like, you really just like you typed it out. You actually defended tyranny, anyways. Yeah. Um, but that's the mentality. But the government is are the ones that we should be watching out for, and I think a lot of people are having their eyes open right now. But it's the government that's telling us, no, you don't need guns. Oh, you don't need that type of gun. No, you only need a gun for shooting ducks. And it's just mm-hmm. like, what are you, uh, what are you trying to pull? And we always need to be. There always needs to be a healthy fear and a healthy suspicion of government. Yes. Regardless of who is in charge, regardless of your party affiliation, always there should always be a healthy suspicion. You know, I'll I'll, I'll tell you. There's there's. Uh... I've heard some people also say that, you know, well, if the founding fathers had known that we would have guns, rifles that can fire, um, you know, that it would have like 30 rounds, they, they'll call it clips. And I'll start laughing. It's a magazine, folks. They'll, you know, 30 round magazines that you can fire in, in one second. And, they'll, you know, they'll say that the founding fathers did not intend for the people to have firearms this powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually not true. Um, I will remind people that, number one, they did not consider the people to be the threat. They considered a standing army in peacetime to be a bigger threat. Mm-hmm. And they did not want the standing army to have more powerful weapons than the people. So if they, I, they would not be shocked by armed citizens owning AR-15s. They would be shocked and appalled by a standing army in the United States having the kind of weaponry that they could just annihilate anybody in the United States. And don't sit and think that it can't happen because it, it can happen. Mm-hmm. If, if we have, let's say a president who is backed up by all these activists who have this mentality of victor's justice or vengeance or social justice or whatever it is, and they feel like, you know, it's now, it's time, what is it, that comeuppance, I think is what they, they yeah. term it. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing on social media where people are stating, those who are on the left are stating that it's comeuppance time or uh, it's it's retribution time because, 
you know, um, that such and such group, they've had their way and now it's time for them to be the victims. Yeah. Well, that's what pure democracy is. That's what the founding fathers were afraid of. They knew about pure democracy. They read the works of ancient Greece. They saw what happened in ancient Greece when pure democracy led to the slaughter of the minority of opinion because the new majority just felt like it's time to seek our revenge in what is very similar to social justice and victor's justice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there is that. And, you know, and I'm looking at this book right now, I'm looking at quotes. John Adams says, arms in the hands of citizens may be used at individual discretion in private self-defense. Um, Patrick Henry, the militia, sir, is our ultimate safety. We can have no security without it. The great object is that every man be armed. Everyone who is able to may have a gun. Mm -hmm. Okay? And, and I, I mentioned that George Mason, quote, to disarm the people is the best and most effectual way to enslave them. And, you know, it, it has quotes. Alexander Hamilton. Um, uh, uh, Elbridge, was it Elbridge Jerry? Mm -hmm. which is where we get our gerrymandering from. He was one of the five delegates to the Second Continental Congress uh, for, for, uh, for uh, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, he, he has his opinions. Um, what, sir, is the use of a militia? It is to prevent the establishment of a standing army, the bane of liberty. Yeah, I mean, what, what Jesus even, you know, referenced the whole, if you, if you bind the strong man, you're able to spoil the house. It's like you are requesting people, people who are saying, you know, the second amendment, we need to get rid of it. Or we need to, um, we need to say, okay, you can't have this type of gun. You know, you don't need a high powered rifle. You don't need a high powered, you don't need multiple, you know, bullets mm -hmm. in, in your magazine, you know, keep it at like eight or six or something like that. You are binding the mm -hmm. strong man. You are binding people in their own home to where they cannot defend themselves. And it's, and it's insanity to even, and I've, I've seen people post here lately, which gives me a little hope is that, man, I saw one is like, man, if, if this, if this doesn't shut down the anti second amendment, like what's going on, the rioting and, and looting, if this doesn't shut down the second, uh, anti second amendment, uh, discussion, nothing will. And like, I, you know, because I think this is like, oh my gosh, it, let's just say that we do trust the government wholeheartedly. Do you trust your your fellow man now? You know what's going on with these with these crazy groups, these these you know extreme well, activist groups. Like these are extremists. So there's so much irony. There's so much irony in several ways. Okay, um, they're calling for the defund defunding of the police. Okay, well if you defund the police, then who is going to protect you? You you can't call a social worker if if some guy is trying to rape a woman. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, these same people who are who are angry at the police are the same ones who say that only the police and the government or the police and the military should have firearms, which is ironic because they're the ones that are suspicious of the police to begin with. So why would you want to give police? Why would you want only the police to have firearms and not yourself? That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, that that uh, Chaz... Seattle, whatever those people are, mm -hmm. they 
they created their own little zone and they built walls and they're running around with semi-automatic rifles and they were always against it. But I guess now they realize, Hey, you know what? We, we need firearms. We need walls to protect mm-hmm. ourselves. So it, it, it everything is just so it's upside down. It's upside down. Yeah. It is upside down. Um, Thomas Jefferson. I want to throw this quote real quick. No free man shall ever be debarred the use of arms. I wanted to throw that in there real quick. I mean, yeah. Thomas Jefferson for crying out loud. So, so there's, there's, there are a lot of, you know, modern day references that you can go to of when the people have had to, um, go against the, go against the government because the government is like, um, we're going to own you. And that's the thing in America, we're not, we're not subjects, we're citizens. Correct. We are the sovereign. The government works for us. And it's very interesting. <laughs> I bring, you know, Joe Biden back into this, but during that AR-14 uh, run in when he was, uh, what was it like? Uh, I forgot what uh, factory he was at, but it obviously it was like, um, it was either, you know, car manufacturer or something like that, but it was, you know, a bunch of rough and tumble guys. And the guy started really getting into him. And he's like, hey, man, you know, talking to Joe Biden, he's like, hey, you work for me. You work for me. And Joe Biden, like, pushes back. He's like, no, man, I don't work for you. And it's just like, there it is. There it is. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't work for us. Right. You know, you have taken all of this power. And it's not just Joe Biden. I'd be a hypocrite if I just said it was him. But, man, it is everywhere. Both sides, Republicans and Democrats. It's just like, no. <laughs> We've been in here for 30, 40 years. We don't work for, we work for ourselves or we, or we work for big, you know, companies. It was just like, you know, come on, man. Um, but let's move on to uh, gun rights before the Constitution. Um, do you want to jump into that? Okay. Gun rights before the Constitution. Um, if you want to look at it, uh, look at the, the, the English Bill of Rights. Now, if you want something in writing, the English Bill of Rights is a good one to look at. Uh, now, that came about in, in uh, 1688. It was written so that, or rather I should say that uh, during the Glorious Revolution when King James II was overthrown, because he was Catholic, uh, they wanted William and Mary to be king and queen, uh, Mary being the daughter of James II. And in order for William and Mary to... to possess the throne they had to agree to the english bill of rights and in there is is the right to keep and bear arms so that is an example john locke was very influential on the uh you know for the sake for the founding fathers um now there was in the also in the pennsylvania constitution of 1776 it stated that the people have a right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state so, you know, this was written long before the Constitution. The Constitution was written in in uh, in uh, seventeen eighty seven. Yeah, yeah, seventeen. So we're talking what uh, eleven years? Yeah. Okay, so eleven years before the Constitution was written, and then the you know it took another four years before the Bill of Rights was ratified, where Pennsylvania already had a Second Amendment, and all the states with the exception of Georgia had pretty much um, a bill of rights with the, with a uh, second amendment or what would be the second amendment, but it was just accepted that everybody owns a gun. I mean, that's just the way it was. Right. 
So it's it's like saying, okay, it's well, common sense. Look, like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to belittle people who are against guns, but uh-huh. it was common sense because self defense is not an American right; it is a natural right. Uh-huh. You look yeah. through mankind when somebody attacks you, and in any any part of the world, your automatic reaction is to protect yourself. Now, whether you know how to fight or not, you conduct some type of automatic self-defense, whether you are punching back or you are covering up your, your vital areas, which is typically your head. That is self-defense. So it's an automatic thing. It is in, it's an internal, um, it's a, it's a, it just takes really simple studying of human nature and even just like physical nature. Like you, you look at like animals, like they are, they have certain things that God has given them to defend themselves, whether that would be horns, uh, whether that would be speed whether that would be ability to climb trees. There, there are all these methods that God has provided every aspect of nature and ability to defend itself. And you can get even into um, plants and insects. Just like if you don't, if you don't understand, like it's, it is a very, it's a very natural thing to defend yourself, self-defense, then this argument will not sit with you. It will not make sense if you are against self-defense. So if you say, well, the, the founding fathers never saw, um, of course they didn't because they weren't, you know, they weren't prophets or they weren't, you know, seers or whatever. They were just, they were men who understood, look, we've gone back several thousands of years and the ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks, they didn't have guns. Mm-hmm. But we have seen the progression of weaponry over the millennia. And so obviously, it would, he, they would have to be idiots to think that the weapons would have stopped right there where they were with just muskets or rifles. Just like yeah. th- that doesn't even make any sense. That's, that's saying that they... They invested their entire lives studying mankind and, and weapons, studying mankind over the millennia and saying everything stops here. Yeah, technology. They knew technology existed. Mm-hmm. Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin was an inventor. Yeah. He invented things. The Franklin stove, um, the spectacles. I mean, he, he, they all knew that that eventually things would progress. It's why the First Amendment, when you're talking about the freedom of the press, number one, you don't have to be a member of the press club um, to write an opinion piece and, and send it to the uh, like the newspaper or online, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the freedom of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of it, it's not a collective right. So that's why when they say freedom of of the press, they didn't say the freedom of newspapers. Yeah, they said the freedom of the press when they when they mentioned the freedom of the uh, of expression, the freedom of grievances, all that. 
they they were not specific as to the the mode or or whatever means of 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 uh, you know like you don't have to be a member of some club right. to be able to express yourself. Um, you don't have to be a member of of any group so that you can then make a speech within that group or have that group represent you. No, you as an individual. So individual rights is where the First Amendment and the Second Amendment come in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um, you know the so the whole argument that they meant collective rights, that that's ridiculous. It, it's, you know, and, and, and it's exasperating sometimes to sit and have a discussion with some people who will not look at some of the some of the writings and the speeches of these same founding fathers. Because believe me, if if they did not want people to keep and bear arms, they would have stated it later on in their lives, you yeah. know. Um, Jefferson and Adams, they lived both of them to, to 1826. So, well, you ignore people ignore these things in order to keep their argument afloat. If they look at that, they either have to ignore what they've looked at, or they have to accept that their argument has now fallen apart. Correct. So now, let's move on to 1791, if you don't mind. Okay, not at all. Um, I, I, I want to mention something real quick in regards to James Madison in the Federalist Number 46, okay. uh, which, which would have an effect on the Bill of Rights. Um, in in uh, Federalist Number 46, he contrasted Madison. He contrasted the proposed American federal government to European kingdoms, which he criticized as being afraid to trust the people with arms. Now, Madison went on to assure Americans that they would never need to fear their government as they had the British crown because the Constitution would ensure them the advantage of being armed. Now, this is before the Bill of Rights. They just, you know, the reason why they did the Bill of Rights was just to ensure the people, hey, look, okay, you anti-federalists, all right, you, you know, George Mason especially, you're not happy not having a Bill of Rights. Okay, we'll add it. And that was ratified on December the 15th, 1791. There, it, the, the House started with 17, and then it was narrowed down to 12 in the Senate, and then it was given to the people to be ratified. And of the 12, 10 of them, and that would have been Amendments 3 through 12, were passed. Now, one of those amendments was passed in 1993 or 1994. Mm-hmm. So of the original 12, 11 were passed, 10 on December, or were ratified, 10 on seven, in 1791, yeah. and one in the 1990s when Bill Clinton was president. So, but, but, though, but the Third Amendment became the First Amendment. Yeah. You know, um, so that, that took place in 1791. Now, in 1822... Uh, there was a, um, a, a Supreme Court case called Bliss versus Commonwealth. And that was what brought the whole individual right into question. Um, there was a guy in Kentucky who was indicted for carrying a sword concealed in a cane, and he was convicted and fined for $100. I need to well, get one of those. Yeah, I'd like to have one. I would. Now, um, in a majority vote with just one judge dissenting, uh, the court overturned the conviction and they ruled that law unconstitutional and void. Okay. Now, uh, 1856. Now this, this is considered a, 
a victory for the individual right. It's a defeat for the blacks who lived in our country. Mm-hmm. Dred Scott versus Sanford. The Second Amendment they, that the Supreme Court stated that the Second Amendment is an individual right. And the reason why they did not want to give blacks citizenship was because then they would have the right to be armed as citizens. Mm-hmm. Individual right. That's where it was affirmed by that decision. So they knew that if we give black people American citizenship, they will now have the right to keep and, and bear arms. And we can't have that. Right. So, you know, wow. <laughs> I mean, come right. on, hello. Yeah. Now, I, I want to go to the uh, now there, there's a friend of mine who's anti-gun who uh, through the Georgia um, 1837 uh, law that banned um, handguns pistols, rather, and knives for both offensive and defensive purposes. Um, he's like, you know, yes, the, the states did have, you know, kind of like the established religion, states had their own established religion. It was not affected by the by the First Amendment until the 14th Amendment came about. Mm-hmm. But there was also the thing about guns. Each state could regulate it, its own, you know, gun bans or guns, you know, gun laws. Um Georgia did have a law that stated in 1837 that, you know, you could not have a, uh, a, a pistol. Well, that was ruled unconstitutional by Georgia uh, because they realized, hey, you know what? We don't have a law here. So let's go to the second. Let's go to the, the U.S. Constitution and take a look at that. And they realized that, you know what? This whole you can't have a you can't have a handgun. Um, that's unconstitutional. So. That that one law that anti-gunners like to throw out, the 1837 Georgia law, was ruled unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And uh, the case is known as Nunn, N-U-N-N, versus State, 1846. Mm-hmm. So those who are not uh, you know doubtful of it, go take a look, and you will see it. Now, the aftermath of that particular case was is that, you know, there, there really where there was no attempt to limit firearms until 1911 when New York City tried to enact a law requiring gun owners to be licensed. So from that Georgia ruling until 1911, I mean, nobody even bothered to mess with guns in any way. Yeah. So now 1871, the NRA was founded and, um, you know, uh, now I did also want to mention um, that, some of the fears that that uh, New Spain, New Spain did not. I know I'm going back here, but New Spain uh, prohibited firearms from blacks mm-hmm. in uh, in they, they it was New Spain, so that's going to be like you know Mexico and and what was a you know uh, Western Western United States today, right? Uh, all those places, uh, French Louisiana, same thing. Um, they they feared revolt. From black people, so they told them you cannot have arms, and that that fear was exacerbated with the Haitian Revolution, when the um, when the Haitians uh, the the black Haitians slaughtered the uh, white French or any white people in general, mm-hmm. and then and then with Nat Turner in 1831, now, this is this is what gun control does. Nat Turner revolt in 1831, gun control laws were enacted on black people, so. 
gun the the history of gun control laws were directed against black people yeah. new spain french louisiana and the nat turner revolt of 1831 mm-hmm. all right so now there really wasn't much until the 30s when we had prohibition uh thanks for telling people that they can't have liquor they uh-huh. can't drink all right well look what it did it virtue created- signaling that's right, and it created a hell of a lot of problems <laughs> because some people did not want others to have the right to pursue their happiness. That's right. So, you, you uh, 1934, 38, you had all these new gun restrictions, first time. Um, and then in the 60s, you had JFK, you had RFK, you had uh, MLK that were you know, murdered, and then you had these new gun control bills in 68, and then there were just a couple more. 1994, the Brady Bill came about, but that collapsed 10 years later. Now, mm-hmm. uh, now in 2008, the D.C. versus Heller, Washington, D.C. versus Heller, was a major setback for gun control because it stated that the, um, that the right to keep and bear arms is an individual right. Yeah. And that you can't tell people they cannot have guns. Now, here's the thing is, is that Heller versus or district of columbia versus heller only pertained to washington dc territories that that kind of stuff it did not pertain to states mm-hmm. so naturally you know you know federal federal enclaves is what they called it so naturally there had to be a follow-up court case dealing with states and that's where the um mcdonald versus chicago which was only two years later that one was a follow-up so that you cannot prevent individuals in states. You can't tell them that they can't own a gun. That was just illegal. It's yeah. unconstitutional. So 2008 and 2010, we had two major court cases that stated it's an individual right. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's kind of scary is, is that it was such a close vote. Like, you know, the Heller was a five to four decision. It should have been nine to nothing. Well, I mean, the thing is, dude, you have, you know, people in the Supreme Court who do not, <laughs> just plain and simple, they're not yeah. big fans of the Constitution. Right. They're, just, they're yeah. not big fans of the Bill of Rights. They see things very differently, and uh-huh. it's really, um, it's scary. Right. It is. So, yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of the, you know, the history of, of uh, what went on here. Um, and then, you know, we, we did mention a few a few things around the around the world. Um, now, uh, I do want to. I think we should touch up on. There's there is also that argument. Oh well, you know, uh, it's ridiculous to say that uh, armed people can defend themselves against our government because, well, their military and you know our military would wipe out any resistance uh, to a revolution or yeah. a rebellion in this country, which is precisely why. You know the federal, they, the 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 founding fathers were against a standing army for that argument. But I'm going to give you some examples where the people did, you know, rise up, and um, you know they they took on the the federal government or took on any government. Um, here's some examples. Okay, we we mentioned earlier about Romania in 1989. Okay, well Romania had a you know they had a pretty strong army and, and air force. Well, the the people rose up. And they overthrew the government, and they killed the uh, the president uh, Nicolae Ceausescu and his wife. Hmm. 
Um, now the people also rose up against Poland, Hungary, East Germany, Czechoslovakia, Bulgaria, and the Baltic states. Uh, overthrew communism, 1989. Now, there was in Hungary in 1956, there was a people's revolt, and they took over the country until the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact nations invaded. So the Hungarians had their freedom briefly until the Soviet military came in and took over. Czechoslovakia, same thing, 1968, where the people revolted. Now, in the Soviet Union slash Russia, from 91 to 93, you had a couple of incidences where the people rose up. There's a very famous photo of Boris Yeltsin standing on a tank in Moscow. Again, the people rising up against a very powerful military. So this whole argument that, you know, it's, it's futile to rebel against yeah. our government, blah, blah, blah. Okay, Syria. Syria has been in has had a civil war for quite some time now. And, you know, the, the, the Bashar Assad regime would have been overthrown had Russia not come in and assisted with their military. And then, you know, the United States came in and we, you know, we bombed ISIS out of existence, that, which was kind of good for, for everybody. Right. Uh, Libya, they overthrew Gaddafi. Um, Iran, 1979, the people rises up and they overthrow the Shah of Iran. Um, Egypt, you had people rising up and Mubarak was overthrown, mm -hmm. uh, Zaire, which is now the Congo people rose up and they overthrow, overthrew Mobutu who had been there for quite some time. Yeah. Um, in the eighties, the Philippines, Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos overthrown by the people who rose up, um, in the, in Palestine, the Israel Arab war. The um, when the Jews uh, declared their own nation and the partition, um, you had about seven Arab armies that invaded to assist the Arabs of Palestine, and the Jews were able to uh, push most of the Arab armies back, with the exception of the uh, the Royal Jordanian Army, which is why they had the West Bank. Um, Cuba, 1959, you had the uh, you had the communists. They were pretending that they were freedom people, freedom fighters, but yeah. they they overthrew Batista. Uh, they in were Nicaragua. more or less. They were fighting freedom. They were fighting free. They were well. They well. They, <laughs> they no, were freedom they, fighters, they were, but they fought freedom once they got in. Well, they yeah, they were pretending like they were going to bring freedom to Cuba. Right. Um, they did not announce their communism until after they had possessed power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why a lot of Americans were like, yeah, let's help the Castro brothers in Che Guevara. So, uh, okay, Nicaragua, Somoza was overthrown in 1979 by the people. Um, in communist China versus nationalist China in 1949, when the Soviets gave the communists all these weaponry yeah. from the Japanese, they were able to overthrow the nationalist government. Jerks. At Afghanistan, 1980s. I mean, you had the Mujahideen, who had no fighter planes, were able to take on the Soviet Union, especially when Charlie Wilson provided them with the necessary weaponry to shoot down planes and helicopters. So you remember that name? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh -huh. the 1980s. 1980s they were able, I mean, little, yeah, that was a great movie. That little tiny Afghanistan was able to take on the Soviet Union and win. 1950, yeah, 1954, France versus the Viet Minh. Uh, this was in French Indochina. They surrounded the French in a little town called Dien Bien Phu, and the French surrendered. 
Viet Minh did not have an air force. Then you had the North Vietnam and the Viet Cong who took on both South Vietnam and the United States. Well, we saw what happened there. Now, the you know, of course, the U.S. military did win every battle, but overall, you know, it was just continuous, continuous battle. Mm-hmm. All right, now, all right, now, what about the United States? The Battle of Athens. Ever hear of that? You know, I have to say that I have never heard of that until you mentioned okay. that the other night. Okay, the Battle of Athens in Tennessee, August 1st through 2nd, 1946. They even made a movie about this. Um, But the Battle of Athens took place when you had soldiers, former soldiers from World War II, armed themselves. They already already had arms, naturally, and they pretty much overthrew the local government because the local government became tyrannical. There was a dispute about voting and um, all hell broke loose, and so you had gun battles, mm-hmm. gun battles between the armed people and the local government, and the armed people won. So if you ever get a chance, you know, read about the Battle of Athens, Tennessee. Happened here in the United States. The power of the people, baby. Hello. So, power you know, of the so, people. So when you hear someone say, well, you you shouldn't own a firearm, you know, this whole it's a ridiculous argument to combat a tyrannical federal U.S. government because uh, they could defeat us. Well, again, this is why they didn't want the standing army, number one. But number two, time after time after time, we have seen where when the people rise up, they can make a change and they can get rid of tyranny. There you go. All right. Well, this is the truth of the matter. That is for sure. And I've had friends uh, say the same thing. Like, oh, they'll send a Tomahawk missile. It's like, look, you're going to have to, you're going to have to bring a lot. There are, there are more guns in America than there are people. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I've, I've, I've had that conversation. It's just, it's, it's pretty illogical. It's like a, the government for one, two things. I want to add on to this, and then I want to close out with our with the scripture reference. But two things. One, I would rather be blown to bits than to be hauled off into a concentration camp. So let me just go ahead and put that on there. I'm I'm going to be I'll I'll have a fighting chance if I have a gun with me, um, and people with me fighting against tyrannical government or against mass groups. You know these, you know, like these Antifa movements and different stuff like that. Um, I have a better chance of survival with that. Two, if the government does become, you know, hyper tyrannical, and yes, we have the most powerful military in the world, what good is killing all of your citizens? I mean, you won't have anything left. Right. So it's like, that's why you... You have to think it through. Yeah, you don't have the firepower of, say, the U.S. military, but you are uh, the most sacred part of the nation. You're the citizenry. When you wipe out the citizenry, you don't have anything. So keep that in mind. That's why you fight. That's why you always want to fight for your right, not just a party, but to be an American. (laughs) Exactly. There we go. 
All right, so as always, we'd like to finish with a scripture reference. This comes from Luke eleven twenty one. It says, and this is, uh, this is Jesus, and this sort of reference what I was what I was saying earlier. Um, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own mansion, his property is safe. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Even Jesus understood the, well, of course he did. He's the one, you know, he created us. So I mean. So obviously he understands the ideas behind self-defense and, and the meaning of protecting your, your property. Um, Mm -hmm. and speaking of John Locke, that was one of the three things that he mentioned. Actually, he mentioned four, well, no, that's James, James Otis, but you know, John Locke was life, liberty and estate or property. So that was the big thing. So keep that in mind. Um, and we've got a lot of people, a lot of activists that are really pushing against those three things starting with the private property. So, but I don't want to get all into that. We come to an end. Alan, where can people find us and tell them about what all we are doing? Well, they can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our very own website, www.thesonsofhistory.com. They can also find us, you mostly, on The Epic Times. Uh, We are both uh, writers for them. And they can also find us on two places. Now, on Facebook, Tuesday night at at 9 p.m. Central, 10 Eastern, I host Tuesday Night History Live. And that's on Facebook. On Thursday on Instagram, that's your show. Dustin, take it away. Instagram, yeah. I do Thursday night live chats. I either have a guest or I do a presentation just me by myself. Um, and as always, like, Hey, if you've got questions during, uh, the show, I can, sometimes I'll address them in the middle of the presentation or I'll wait till the end, uh, to address them. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. We're, we're having a good time with it. And, uh, so if you're wanting to learn certain things that are really important and typically we try to, you know, pick topics that are, you know, that are important today, uh, that is going on right now. Yeah. It's a ton of information. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that is the end of the show. We hope that you have a great week. And also, uh, for all you fathers out there, we hope that you had a great Father's Day this past Sunday. And we hope that you have a great rest of the week and hope that you got something nice like a gun. There you go. There that you would go. Be, you know, that, would, that would actually make a perfect gift, a nice gun. There you go. Protect yep. the family. That's right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will talk to you later. Have a great week.